This is really special to do it in Halifax. We sold out the screening. AIFF has been really supportive of all my past work. Like my short films started, like got their first screenings at that festival like 15 years ago. Who's Your Father follows a small town private investigator played by Chris Locke as he investigates the sale of black market lobster in Prince Edward Island. Along the way, he gets help from an eccentric convenience store owner who has her own agenda, played by Susan Kent. I was joined by the writer and director, Jeremy Larter. Maybe about 10 years ago, I was uh, living in Toronto at the time and, uh, you know, a struggling filmmaker. I had a few things out at that time, but uh, not making very much money. And I was thinking about uh, side hustles that I could do to, to earn some income. And, uh, I came across this one week private investigator course uh, that you could take in Ontario. So um, I was really intrigued by, by detective stories and private investigation uh, anyway, up to that point. And I didn't end up taking the course, but I went to do an editing job at, uh, or I went for an editing interview at a PI company in Toronto and uh, discovered that uh, most of what you're doing as a PI is just insurance cases. So you're just kind of like sitting in your car all day doing absolutely nothing. So I was like, okay, this may be not as uh, glamorous as a, of a side gig as I thought it was going to be. Um, so I didn't go that route, but then thinking about a PI and PEI was kind of intriguing to me. And like, how would you be a private investigator in a place where the connections between people are so close? Um, and I actually looked up private investigation on Google, private investigation and PEI and came across one PI that was listed this was a few years ago and called the PI and he uh, told me, now nah, I'm just, I'm going to get out of the industry. It's, it's way too close here. You, you try doing surveillance on your cousin's house uh, with no cover in the middle of the field. No, it's, it's way too close for me. Uh, I'm getting out of the business. So that phone call that I had was really sort of the thing that, that set me on the, on this path of making this detective story in PEI. Um, and I always, you know, the big Lebowski is one of my favorite comedies and, it, it seemed like an interesting challenge to try to tell a big Lebowski-esque story in, in Prince Edward Island. I, I, I love the layers and the twists as you went along. And also, you know, you really kind of like captured the, um, what, what you, what, what you would kind of imagine a PI in <laughs> it would look like with those kind of parameters that you kind of set out. Um, I, I, were you influenced by things like you, you mentioned Big Lebowski, but things like, I don't know, like Police Squad or like Bottle Rocket or any of those kind of like detective shows? Was, were there any more that kind of influenced the, how, you know, how you put this together? Or um, was it um, kind of the Big Lebowski? I, I can see the parallels. I can see the inspiration is kind of a, a good model to work with. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was mostly like, um, like Raymond Chandler detective novels, uh, which was also an inspiration for the Big Lebowski. And, uh, you know, some film noirs from the 40s, like originally the first iteration of the script was sort of a ripoff of a 1945 film called Detour. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but no, it's, no, no. it's on YouTube. It's free. You can watch it for free. But like the very first version of it was kind of like based on Detour, more more focused on the junior character than than the other characters. Um But, yeah, and then thinking about films like that I grew up with that I love, like Jackie Brown and uh, True Romance and um, Punch Drunk Love were, were also movies outside of the detective realm, but that were still definitely influences on this one. Yeah, I think that, like, 
um, the way you kind of, you could see the kind of, a lot of the feel isn't noir. You definitely have some of the kind of characters and plot, like plot, plot lines and things that are kind of reminiscent of Noir, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a fun world to work in. Um, you know, like the, the Raymond uh, Chandler novels are really fun because they kind of go here, there, everywhere. Every kind of like strata of society is there. And um, I grew up on the North Shore of PEI um, in West Cove Head. And, and it's, you know, kind of a touristy place in the summertime. So you definitely would have a mix of, you know, local working class people and then, you know, kind of wealthier tourists that would come in in the summer. So it just, yeah, it felt like there was like an interesting range of personalities that you could bring into the story i mean one of the things that you kind of did you you captured like island sensibilities and that kind of sense of humor um, really well but you as an outsider i've been to pei once camping i didn't get lost you know it was kind of very relatable kind of uh small town sensibility so how did you kind of tread that balance uh you know it must have been something that was in your mind i suppose Oh yeah, it, it, absolutely. And that's very not good to hear. I'm glad to hear that um, because it's always something that you want to make sure that the story feels universal, um, that it's not too far inside your own backyard. I think because on previous projects that I've done, like Pogi Beach and just passing through, like I was going as full tilt maritimes as, as I wanted to. And, and that was the intention behind it. So I think because I've gone so far to the outside with inside maritime humor and comedy, like I have a pretty good sense now of where to kind of bring it back in to make it maybe a little bit more universal. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's, you know, you want it to be specific. It's really important to have that speci um, specific quality to it, but you also want to have the uni universality of the, of the love story, I think helps to kind of like bring it in outside of the Maritimes. Yeah. And I think, like you said, cap capturing different strata of society, the, the romance, um, you know, the, there are so many different kind of universal elements, but um, it was, I enjoy the kind of more regional stuff, like the, the turns of phrase that you don't cure all the time. And, um, you know, j just the, um, the, the local gossip and how the, the, the smaller world that some people live in and operate in was just kind of, I found it enjoyable. So. Oh yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny. I, I um, a friend of mine had gotten, I mean, I know quite a few PEI expressions from growing up there, but um, a book that was published uh, about PEI expressions. And so it was a good reference to have uh, with me as I'm writing the script, to have that book handy, just like, okay, flip through a couple pages. Okay, okay. Uh, dirty enough to grow potatoes in. That's a good one. And then, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then throw that in. There. Now, one of the things about the Maritimes and like Nova Scotia, where I live in PA, I'm sure is the same, is that you drive around and you see buildings or areas that are kind of trapped in time almost, that are from abandoned or just still operating from a bygone era. And one of the things that I loved about this was you you had some incredible locations that of, of, I imagine real places in PEI that, that we could get jump in the car and go visit now. So like, how did you... Did you know all those places or did you go on your own kind of investigative road trip to kind of like source all these locations? Like what was that? What was that process? Well, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, finding locations is one of the my favorite parts of the process of uh, pre-production. And it was a mix of those two things that you mentioned. Um, many of the locations in the film were within a 10 minute drive of where I grew up in West Cove Head. Um, some of the locations were actually next door to my parents house where I grew up. <laughs> that's how small it is um and i worked as a lobster fisherman uh for a couple of summers uh out of trackety wharf but out of the covehead wharf as well where we shot the richards restaurant scene and where all the wharf action takes place that was shot in covehead 
where I worked. And uh, the store location is just five minutes down the road from my parents' place. Um, so we found a lot of them that way, just from knowing them and knowing the people who who live and work there. And Kevin Fraser and I, the DP, did a road trip across other parts of PEI to find some other locations that we weren't as familiar with, like the uh, bar location uh, where Rhonda and Larry uh, meet after the store was a location that I wasn't familiar with. And it's it's, a, it's such a great space, the Cardigan Lobster Supper, which is also a bar and a lobster supper in the one building. Um, so yeah, we it, it was really important for me to find the best locations because when you're working on a low budget, you just don't have the resources to build anything. You can't build a set. So the better the location that you find, the the higher the production value you're going to get. So was this kind of almost like a love letter to those kind of places that are like embedded in your like memory from like a nostalgic point of view? Or like how much of that did you want to share with the world, I suppose? Oh, it's definitely something I want to share with the world for sure. Uh, yeah, like it's, because I spent so much time driving around there, like, you know, a lot of my memories of PR are driving because like I lived 20 minutes outside of Charlottetown. So you're always sort of driving um, to get to, to get anywhere. And uh, yeah, those it's like the, the landscape scape of PEI is burned into my mind kind of. And and I really tend to stay, stick close to, to my backyard. I, I like, you know, it's PEI, but it's also West Cove Head and Stanhope and Brackley and the places that I, you know, I saw like every day growing up. So I just seem to be drawn to those places, but it, it is fun to find other little gems um, that you just, you never knew existed, which does happen on PI a lot. Uh, one of the things I really liked as well was, was the, the night scenes. You used a lot of things like taillights and neon signs. It, it looked beautiful, but it also was really reminiscent of detective film genre or you know uh, w tell, tell us a little bit about that i guess that was a conscious thing that you were doing but um i was just interested to find out more about the creative ideas behind them and kind of how you put it all together i guess yeah that was um that was uh the visual look was something that kevin and i talked about a lot um, in advance we had started a whole google doc with reference images and he had a website that he used with other reference images so we we kind of poured over reference images for quite a long time and you know it was a trick to figure out okay how do we get that film noir element into the visual style of the movie without it kind of being uh, cheesy or too much of a throwback um but kevin had a lot of you know kevin's an incredibly talented dp and i'm glad you mentioned the cinematography because i think with comedy sometimes it can get overlooked uh the craft involved and kevin did such a wonderful job and a big part of what he wanted to do was to do the wet downs on the pavements of all the like the outside the diner and outside the store at night to really give it that feel where you've got the light that's bouncing off uh, the pavement, um, which is a lot of fun. And we had talked about using neon lights outside the motel and uh, outside the store a lot. So it was a very important visual element. And as a kid growing up, I'm 43. So I, I started watching movies in the eighties and for some reason, night scenes and movies in the eighties really burned into my memory. <laughs> I don't know why, but the feel of like the crickets, and uh, the night, the summer night was something that we wanted to convey. And it was always something that I really wanted to convey uh, in a film and never really had a chance before this one. Um, so trying to get that feeling of summer night was really important. And uh, Kevin's lighting had a lot to do with that. Yeah, and I, because I mean, like, 
you know, you, you were inspired by noir, but at the same time, it's quite a, a bright, warm film. You know, it, uh, it kind of ties in with, it's a comedy, but you really did, for me, I kind of really enjoyed those moments where it was kind of, oh, this is, you've gone for something that is like inspired by a kind of scene you'd see in like Robocop or Blade Runner, I guess, <laughs> it was yeah. like at night, it's cool. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to kind of mix those elements together uh, a little bit and like ca- capturing the 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 colors of the island. It was like something that Kevin and I talked about a lot because uh, I live in the country here now, but I still get kind of blown away by the green. Like when I come back east, like the in, you know in late June, early July, when things have just become green, like the greens and the yellows and, and the blues of the P- and the and the, like the rusty red of the PEI landscape is really fun to me. And it just happened to be like complete coincidence and luck that Larry's van that he drives just happens to be basically the same colors, PEI soil. Like it, <laughs> it just happened to be like a complete fluke that like the van, the best van that we could find, like looked like the Island clay. So that was a coincidence that worked in our favor. <laughs> you, could, you could, you could say it was like undercover and it was a conscious choice, but yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> nope. The, the whole you've got a like a really talented cast um but i'm i'm a fan of chris Locke, um and it was really great to see him in this role and and uh, kind of see him kind of perform and do what he does <laughs> but um how much how much of an element of chris kind of improvising came into the role or w- w- do, was that something you kind of you wanted to lean into his 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 kind of comedy talent for yeah absolutely you know cuz i i didn't want uh to impose too much on Chris. Like I wanted to like, I wanted Chris to interpret the role as he saw fit and um, to work with that because he is a real unique one of a kind talent. Um, And there's something really special about Chris. He's got like a completely unique physicality. The way he moves is so special. Um, And so, yeah, so using his on the, on the toes sort of, uh, adjustments was like a big part of, uh, of the comedy. So I let him do it. You know, we, we left in a lot of things that we made up on the day. Um, and Susan Kent who plays opposite Chris is also so talented in that way. And, uh, the two of them just had really funny chemistry together and they would come to the set with ideas that they had been talking about because they both stayed at the same motel, like when we weren't shooting. So they were coming up with stuff together too, that they'd bring to set that wasn't in the script. So the, the finished film is, you know, it's, it, it's, it's quite different from the, from the script that we started with. I was going to say, because Susan and Chris like worked so well together. I think visually they kind of bounced off each other and you could just tell there was that spark. So at what point in casting did you kind of realize that they were going to be the, the, the best match, I guess? Well, it um, it was a kind of kind of a while into the process. I actually wrote the role of Rhonda Perry for Susan. Um, I had, oh wow! Okay, yeah. So I wrote it for Sue. I had met her on the set of a PI comedy series called Wharf Rats, and uh, I was just Jason Arsenal and Jenna McMillan, who are producers on Who's Your Father, were the director and producer of that project, and I was helping them out. And I met Sue there. I didn't really get a chance to talk to her that much, but. Um, she was playing a supporting role in that series and I could see like just how talented she was. I knew, I knew her from 22 minutes. Um, but anyway, so I wrote a role for her, not knowing her <laughs> and not knowing if she'd ever do it. Um, because she's just so good. She's to me, she's like a Carol Burnett. Like she's just at that level of talent. Um, and I felt like I hadn't seen her in a role that like just suited her talents, like the way that I thought they could be put to use um, and what she could contribute to it. So Sue was cast first. So she was the first actor on board. And then as we were finding Larry, 
uh, it wasn't until we brought Chris and Sue together in Toronto and did a read together uh, where we saw the spark between the two of them and how much like Susan really responded to Chris. And there was just something between the two of them where you could just see like you just wanted to root for those two together. And uh, and then funny enough, Chris got caught. Susan, we didn't know Susan had COVID and Chris got COVID. No, Chris didn't get COVID. Sorry. But Susan had COVID. We didn't know. This was like May of 2022. So um, like even getting together to do a read was kind of like, oh, should we do this? Should we not? But uh, I'm really thankful that we did because it was the thing that sealed the deal because I knew how talented Chris was on his own. I knew how great Susan was, but seeing the two of them together was, was what made the casting choice easy. Yeah, definitely. And like, how hard is it to get like an independent Canadian comedy feature made. Like how how much of a of a journey was this for you? Or did it kind of surprise you and come together really easily? Um, I mean, it was it it wasn't that hard to bring it together, really. I mean, like I had st- did the I did the first draft of the script in 2015, then put it away for about five years, and then Telefilm development funding came through for the second draft of the script. And that's really where the film became like the script became the movie. Um and then once we had that, we we fairly quickly, after we had a draft that we thought was decent enough, we applied to Telefilm in 2021. Um, so it came together quite quite quickly. And then we weren't able to shoot in 2021 um, because of the timing with summer. Um, and then we came back 2022. So it wasn't really that big of a process. The casting process was probably four or five months um, of working through that myself. Um but yeah, it's a, people say comedy is really hard to do these days, and I don't really fully know why. But um, like, I don't know why all of a sudden it's like a tough genre. I mean, it's been around for a long time. It's very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barbie just came out, but people like comedy. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But they don't get made. It's, it's a good question because like independent comedies don't seem to get made very much these days, or not not as much as they did. One of the things that did come up was like from the time that we got approved for funding in 2021 to shooting the film in 2022 inflation just kicked in so the cost of everything jumped quite significantly so that was a big challenge to sort of like readjust our budget because it was already a low budget film um to try to figure out a way that we could actually do it tell us uh, a little bit about the kind of music you decided to use and, and that process of kind of finding the right um you know music affects emotions and it's a comedy so how did you kind of pull all that together well yeah it was it was a big process from start to finish for us because uh you know, the movie's a bit of a throwback feel to like, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s movies, I'd say primarily. You know, we've got the zoom lens going from the 70s films that I really love. And um, I think like, yeah, like the 80s elements from from certain films. Um, so we were looking for music that was going to capture kind of that old time feel for the film. So when we were doing the rough cut, we had laid in like all these like kind of, you know, kind of known, but a little bit obscure, great oldies songs. That people loved so the feedback we were getting on all the music was like oh the music's so great <laughs> okay that's good to hear i don't think we can get any of these songs but we'll try um you know and it's a low budget film so we had a fairly small music budget so the big challenge was like how do we fill 20 plus tracks and original music on such a tight budget um and aaron como uh was the music supervisor um he's a mu- musician he plays in the sky diggers and uh, lives on pei now um, so he was on board as a music supervisor. So Aaron and I, you know, he's got great connections to the music scene in Canada. So he really helped like hone in on like the old feel that we were looking for within like independent Canadian music, uh, especially and found some really great bands that I never heard of before 
So he was involved in that side and digging out all those tunes. And I think we got like a really nice range of like kind of like classic rock feeling stuff and then more like R&B stuff. And then Aaron and Noah Malcolm were also involved in doing the original score, which was a whole other thing. And they really infused it with um, kind of like, you know, a detective, you know, surf kind of surfy guitar feel, uh, kind of like a 70s detective feel uh, came from Aaron primarily. And Noah did a lot of the uh, the more classical compositions. So it was an interesting mix uh, of like some moments are kind of like Hitchcock a little bit. So we kind of wanted to bring in like a bit of a Hitchcock rear window kind of feel for certain things. But the music is like a, an essential component of the film. And uh, one of the things I'm really proud about uh, how we were able to pull it off with the with the resources that we had. Um, one of the things that I really that really stood out to me in your movie is the fact that you did your own version of Matrix style bullet time in a fight scene, but in a totally unique comedic way. <laughs> so, <laughs> what the hell was going through your mind when you kind of came up with that? Because it's brilliant. <laughs> oh no, thank you. I, that's funny. I've never heard anyone think of it that way before. But you're right. That's that is sort of exactly what it is. Um, well, that was like a product that was, again, that was a product of a necessity, basically, because the, the a fight scene that I had originally written was just way too hard to do. Like we would never have been able to do it because of the stunts involved and the time involved. Uh, so that was kind of that fight sequence was, was being rewritten as we were getting closer to shooting it. And then uh, Kevin actually uh, kind of had the idea to to do it all in, in super slow-mo like that and then and then again it was like press for time on the day too like figuring out a very simple way to shoot it and get everything that we needed um that was the second last day of the shoot so yeah so it was kind of like a product of necessity kind of using and then improvising on the time we're running out of time how do we do this and then finding a really clever kevin had a really clever way of framing it in the door of the motel and then so that we could do the back and forth and i wanted to i wanted it to feel kind of like a ballet almost like a surreal sort of ridiculous ballet um in a parking lot in a motel room and i think that's i'm glad to hear you liked it because that's that was that's exactly what we were going for uh one of the things about your movie that i loved was the the concept of the undercover swinger party scene where <laughs> chris is chris is going into a swingers party in disguise or you know poorly disguised with um it being a stakeout and we're kind of from the perspective of of um uh, Susan's character in the van. Um, where did you get the idea from for that scene? Because it was so entertaining to kind of uh, watch him kind of bumble through that situation, and uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a it's a a setup that we've seen in like lots of detective mm -hmm. movies. Is is that kind of was that the spark that kind of created it? Or yeah, it was sort of that was the initial initial idea for that scene, and I was always sort of like because I'd always heard rumors that these types of swingers parties existed on the east coast and i was always a little bit really i mean i'm kind of surprised by that but then you know you, you do a little research and you're like okay i think they do exist maybe more in new brunswick not to give new brunswick a, you know that reputation but um so but the funny thing was that chris and chris and susan and i were doing skype zoom calls as we were doing prep as we were getting close to the shoot date and we would go through the script together um and we did that a few times and then it was during those calls that that scene evolved quite substantially where originally it wasn't Chris going in. So we kind of threw back different ideas on that, those zoom calls and like that scene kind of really evolved during those conversations to be what it became. Um, so that's again, like where their talent and kind of great writing sense too, because Chris and Susan are both writers too. Um, so that where they can think like writers and, and uh, 
you get that chemistry working in other ways, just, you know, besides just on set. Yeah. And, and what kind of, um, in terms of shooting in such a, somewhere that is so familiar to you in terms of once you actually got to the production side of things, what was that experience like being in your hometown shooting in locations you spent as a child? Did you kind of pull a lot from the community? Was there a lot of community support and interest in kind of what you were doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels really comfortable to me for me. And, uh, you know, it's just like you leave your, you know, I was staying at my parents' house, the house I grew up in, and then you just get in the car and like, it's like, you know, there were days on set where I literally walk across the tree line on my parents' property and I'd be on set. Um, you know, maybe that's cheating. I don't know, but (laughs) it, it feels really good to me. And we always have so much community support on all of our projects and especially this one too. Um, people have been really wonderful to us in the community and you know like the wharf location you know that's the covid war so it's one of the big challenges of shooting a movie in pei in the summer is like shooting summer for summer because we had motels golf courses convenience stores bars you know places that people need to be in the summertime so um so it was it was really tricky but you know the people that came through for us were really, really great. We couldn't have made the movie without them. Like the the store location was really hard to get. It was really hard to figure out how we were going to do that. And the motel location too. But the owners of those establishments really came through for us um, to make it work. And yeah, it was, without the community support, we'd never be able to pull it off. And what about kind of your um, premiere now um, screening of the movie at the festival at AAFF? How, how are you feeling? Are you excited to kind of come down to Halifax and, you know, share your vision with the world. Oh yeah. I'm really excited. I, I'm excited and terrified. It, it, it always, uh, I'm not someone who like feels comfortable watching something that I'm working on with like people in the same room. Um, it really is a uncomfortable experience, but I am thrilled to be able to do it. That being said, like we sold out the screening. Um, there's gonna be a lot of people there. I get very nervous and anxious about it, but I do enjoy it. If the crowd reacts, then I'll be able to settle down a little bit and uh, enjoy it even more if they're you know know, responding in the ways that you hope they do um but it's really special to do it in halifax aiff has been really supportive of all my past work like my short film started like got their first screenings at that festival like 15 years ago and uh, pogey beach played there so i i feel very comfortable there and my family can come over from pei a lot of the cast and crew are going to be able to go there from from the island and from toronto like the like some of the actors will be there too um so it'll be special It, it was a lot of work um, a lot of it in my living room with my kids and my cats crawling all over me, which is a, an interesting challenge. So it will be, it'll be really fun to see it in Halifax. Hopefully see you at the, at the festival. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. Don't forget that this guest and many more will be showcasing the best of international cinema across Halifax from September 14th to the 21st. You can find out more about the events and book tickets by visiting atlanticfilmfestival.ca. I've been Reese Waters. Now go watch a movie.